at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to the Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Stanton Forbes' labyrinth of tropical intrigue. But I wouldn't want to die there. Starring Nehemiah Persoff. Brock Peters. And Marge Redmond. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Have you ever wondered about the person tucked away in a corner of a toy factory, cutting jigsaw puzzles, taking a finished picture and cutting it up so someone can spend hours, weeks, piecing it back together? feeding the wood or pasteboard into the blade at any desired angle. I wondered about such a person. So too must Sylvia Bennett. The picture she thought she was making is suddenly many new pieces. More red in another corner. The blood of the island newspaper editor. She's no longer sure that the face she thought would be at the center will be there. And as she sits in her New York apartment, reading the letter, the instruction sheet... Sylvia Bennett has reason to believe this puzzle may have more pieces than she first expected. But I wouldn't want to die there. Continues after this word. That was some meeting. I remember. I made it back from Phillipsburg just in time. We were all crammed in. Everybody, Everybody seemed, seemed to be, to be at, at the, the schoolhouse school. that afternoon. Everyone from our place. Staff and guests, all the townspeople, visiting Americans, tourists, part-time residents, and Mr. Boland of the press. Even a few curious spectators from Marigold were there. All these people, and yet I could sense the void. Gerard belonged there. Captain Dubois, Inspector Leclerc, and Dr. Fortier sat at the main desk at the head of the class. Leclerc opened the proceedings. <laughs> You are all aware of the recent death of Gerard Bonaventure. We regret his passing and that of Madame Annabelle Lee. We are doing all we can to locate the person responsible for their untimely departure. Our belief is we are looking for one person, perhaps present in this room. They began with me, which made sense. The whole terrible mess started where I began, with my evening walk along the beach. I don't know why I was nervous, but my legs were trembling as I gave my account. Wong and the men from the river substantiated my story. After that, the clerk called on Robert Tolliver, and things began to get lively. Mr. Tolliver, would you inform us of your whereabouts the day of your wife's demise? San Juan, most of the day, on business. Flew back here for about an hour that afternoon, picked up a check for my wife, and flew back. This business you speak of, the acquisition of Benvenue, was it satisfactorily completed? Not entirely. It's a very complicated procedure. Is it not strange that you did not take this check when you first left? Tanqueray pulled a fast one. He wanted a binder right then and there, a large amount of money. I was afraid he'd call the deal off if I didn't come up with it, so I flew back to get it. 
And your wife was alive and well? I told you she wrote the check. When it comes back with my statement, I'll hand it to you. We have ascertained from Monsieur Tanqueray that there was such a check. Don't think we doubt that, Monsieur Tanqueray. Look, I can account for every second I was back here. I know what you're trying to pull, and I'm not going to let you get away with it. Tolliver got red in the face from all his shouting and had to be yanked down into his chair by his friend Bates. The clerk continued with Maria Lisa. She spoke very quietly, giving short answers. Annabel Lee was not a cold person, she said, a kind woman who kept to herself. She had no close friends in Grand Case and never entertained, though visitors dropped by from time to time. Tolliver was smoldering. Did you see him, Sylvia? I could tell it wouldn't be long before he blew. Max was just the one to set him off. Monsieur Terry, you were in San Juan that day, too. That's right. Your pension there has so agreed. Customs have verified both you and Monsieur Tolliver as having boarded the same early flight, though not together. As a neighbor, tell me, how did you feel about Madame Lee? Well, I... Uh... I felt sorry for her. She seemed such a lonely person. A big star, you know, probably most people were afraid to talk to her. Lonely, you say? And yet she had a husband. Well, it's common knowledge they didn't get along. That's a lie. There was a terrible bruise on her face one time, and she told me that he gave it to her. You're lying. That's what she said. She ran into a door. Yeah, the door at the end of your arm. Uh, Mr. Tolliver, please be seated. This is a farce. Look, we argued. Who's married that doesn't? She wasn't the easiest woman in the world to get along with, but I never hit her, never. I was on my way back to San Juan when it happened, and I can prove it. Alphonse Tabor, we have been told you spoke to Madame Lee at times. What can you tell us about her? Oh, she was nice to me, sir. She promised me a week for carnival. My uncle Martin did not like me to go there or Oliver either. He said she was a trouble lady. Hey, what about Uncle Martin? You said you thought she might have been in his boat. We have no evidence that she was. In addition, Martin Maynard was in the hospital when Gerard Bonaventure was killed. All right, then. The other one. What's his name there? That space cadet. Just the sort of mentality. D. Bousquet was at the gendarmerie at the time of Gerard's death. Furthermore, after interrogation, we do not believe him capable of taking the lady out in a boat and ridding himself of the body without discovery. His mind is that of a child, and he is too public a figure in grand case. But he spied on Annabelle. This he has admitted. He said he had never seen a lady without clothes. And so he was curious. And he liked what he saw. Oh, yeah, I look at it, I love it. I know. I'm telling you, he did it. Order. Order. I'm Order. Order. We go to the matter of the second murder. Dr. Fortier says Gerard Bonaventure was struck violently on the head before the noon hour yesterday. According to his secretary, Gerard left his office at 11 o'clock. On his way out, he left an advertisement for copying. That advertisement was for you, Monsieur Terry. We judge, therefore, that you talked to Gerard Bonaventure perhaps yesterday morning. Yes, I did. At what time was this? Oh, around uh, 10.30. Around? Uh, 10.30. I told him what we wanted the ad to say. He read it back to me and said, thanks. I, I was rushing off to the market. And that is where you went after the telephone conversation? Yes. Returning when? Oh, well, it gets close to one o'clock. The lunch crowd was coming in. We were very busy. Monsieur Cadwallader must have had his hands full serving such a crowd. No. Uh, no, no. Eloise and Therese were there alone. I'd gone looking for Michel Bisquet. To tell him you'd taken Guy to Marigot. I went to his farm first, 
but he wasn't there. Then I ran into Leon Delong, who told me I might find Michel in Point Blanche. Did you find him? Yes, in the bar under the pier. At what time? Twelve, twelve-thirty uh, maybe. It took me a while to find him. Michel Bousquet arrived at the gendarmerie at 1.15. Allowing him a half hour to reach Marigot from Point Blanche, it would seem you saw Monsieur Bousquet after 12.30, Monsieur Cadwallader. That's possible. Why are you concentrating on us? What is this, a play? What are you trying to do? <laughs> Monsieur Terry, this is a public inquest. We are attempting to identify a pattern. We are not accusing anyone. Now, please, sit down. Thank you. According to testimony, as you have heard it, Madame Lee left her house sometime in the afternoon, after her guests and maid had gone into Phillipsburg. After, her husband says, four o'clock. Where did she go? She goes when I went to the house. She told you her office. I heard her. Mademoiselle, you will tell us what she saw. Therese told me Madame Lee was walking on the beach toward Molly Smith Point. She was wearing a white bathing suit. What hour was this? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. She was certain. It had to be three o'clock. We'd go home at 3.30. She's lying. I don't know why, but she's lying. Wasn't Therese just a little curious to see where Madame Lee was going at three o'clock? Didn't she see her meet someone out by the point? Someone with a boat? No. She told me Madame Lee was walking by herself. If she left at three, she was back by four. Interesting, is it not? Why she was doing all that coming and going. Especially when she didn't anticipate your return, Monsieur Tolliver. Or did she expect you? Yes, she expected it. I called from the same one airport. And she must have been very weary from running home from the point. She must have run very fast because no one saw her come back, did they? Anyone? All right. When I got to the house, she wasn't there. She knew I was coming, but she wasn't around. You never saw her that afternoon? No. How did you get the check then? It was there on the desk under a paperweight. No note, nothing, just the check. All signed and ready. So I grabbed it, said to hell with her and left, and that's the God's truth. Why then did you lie to us? Why say Madame Lee was there when she was not? Please, please, you. Monsieur Tolliver, we are waiting for your answer. I have a reason. I had a reason, a good one. The legal matter of the check. If she died before I got it, well, we're not sure it's good. Surely, Monsieur Tolliver, if it were not, your own funds would be more than sufficient to cover the amount. Of course, but my money's not so easy to get at. It's... it's tied up. It's all very complicated. I should say so. I know what you're thinking. I know how it looks, my being there, like she wouldn't give me the money, so I bopped her with a paperweight or something, but damn it, that's not what happened. I didn't kill her. I didn't lay eyes on her. I can prove I didn't, and you can't prove I did. Please, Monsieur Tolliver. Repeat to us your whereabouts on the morning of the second murder. You can't pin that on me. No way. Bates and I were at the airport arranging for shipment of my wife's body. I've got a dozen witnesses. Yes, so you have told us. That's the truth. Yes, we know. Nevertheless, it will be interesting to see your wife's check when it is returned. It is always so intriguing to examine the signature. The autograph, as it were, of a famous person. I don't like your attitude. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. We will let you know when we have anything further. This meeting is now adjourned. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but uh, I'm afraid.
afraid I should be leaving. I have things to attend to back home. Leave when? You don't mean right away. Yes, right away. Tomorrow. Sylvia, you just got here. What's so important? Things. My apartment. You know, it's not a good idea to leave an apartment empty in New York for too long. If you do, it'll really be empty when well, you get stay back. until Saturday. Tomorrow night's the big barbecue. I think I'd better go. Don't make up your mind yet. Please, Sylvia. I don't get it. Why don't they arrest Oliver? Has he made some kind of deal with the government or what? They're waiting for something. Don't underestimate them, Max. In the meantime, he can't duck out. Do you think he killed him? Hell yes. Who else could it be? Tag, what do you think? I'm out of it. I'm not my brother's keeper. Oh, come on. Take a plunge, Cat. You won't drown. Why don't you ever get your feet wet, Cat? Perhaps because he's no fool. Nice, Mr. Cat. The people in this village treat him like a minor deity. If he'd lift a finger there, they'd come running to him and tell him everything they know or suspect. But will he lift that finger? No, not noble old cat. Too damn scared he might have to make a positive move against his fellow man. You're coming on a bit strong, Max, but you may be right, partly. What would you do if you knew who the murderer was? Well, I'll tell you what he'd do. He'd turn his back. That's what. He'd say, poor damn fool, and he'd go on pretending he didn't know, and then try to rip a hill and take the killer all by himself. A heart as big as his body. That's what Mr. Cadwallad has got. It makes me sick. I think I'll go lie down. No, stay. Max will go instead, won't you, Max? You've been drinking too much, haven't you, Max? And you say things you shouldn't when you're drinking, don't you? The lady is quite correct. I was just leaving. I bid you both. I'm sorry, Sylvia, for the way Max acted. It's this whole bloody business. Why do you take that from him? He's my best friend, my oldest friend. No, I'll amend that. He's my only friend. Et tu, Brute? No, you don't understand, and I could never tell you. Tell me what, Cat? Well, I owe Max a great deal. Just take my word for it. You really are a coward. You left out the fifth night. But I remember. We never even ate dinner. I guess we were pretty looped. It must have been late. The place was deserted. To memories. To old times. What's the first thing you remember? When you were a child, I mean. God, those are old times. The very first. Well, I must have been about three years old. That young. You must have been a very bright little girl. I remember it was Christmas. And I found a kitten in my stocking. Its head was peeping out of the top. I cried. I was so happy. Hmm. My first memory is seeing. Yes, my parents bought me glasses and I put them on. And I climbed on a chair to look in the mirror. I didn't know whether to laugh because I could see myself so clearly or cry because I looked so ugly. I laughed. (laughs) They did too. What happened to the kitten? still makes me sad. It got out in the driveway, and my father ran over it in his car. Oh, I'm sorry. So am I. 
Poor kitty. Never had the chance to grow up. Those are most unusual bracelets you wear. I noticed them the first day we met, remember? On the beach. I don't think I've seen you without them. They're really exquisite. Let me see them. No, Kat, please. No. Let... Now you know. They're cover-ups. You know, my eyes are so bad I couldn't see them. I felt the scars. Why did you do it? I was tired. Tired of no one caring. Your husband. I suppose so. Wow. Will it do any good to ask you not to try again? Huh? Well, remember, I asked. We walked up the stairs together. I felt so sorry. So ashamed. I knew what would happen the next day, and I knew I wouldn't be there. When I asked you into my room, Cad, you reacted so strangely. Were you shocked? Or pleased? I couldn't tell. I knew what I was doing, and yet... Twenty-five years. It was Joseph Johns I opened my bed to, not you, Cad. We didn't say anything more that night, but... But I know what you wanted to say. And I know what... Pull yourself together, Sylvia. No more jaded tears. You can only die once. All right, Cad. Throw the switch. Squeeze the trigger. I have no last request. Tell me in your own words how I betrayed you. Just how was it for you when I left? It was the sixth day after I... I'd stumbled over the inert figure on the beach by Molly Smith Point. A day accentuated by a profound sense of loss. You, Sylvia, for reasons I would soon discover, left without as much as saying goodbye. If you had, your words fell upon deaf ears. When I awoke, you were gone. We on the island lowered Gerard into the ground that afternoon... I was in no mood for a party, but as host, I had my obligations. About the time the sun departed, our guests began arriving. For an hour or so, everything ran smoothly. Alphonse mixed, I served, Max and the girls brought out food, and everyone had a grand time. When people turned their attention to eating, I decided to take a walk. I, just to think about things, be alone. Hey, whatever your name is, hold up! Man, did you ever have me fooled? What? What, what are you talking about? Yeah, read it and weep. Read what? I, I can't see out here. The new issue of day. Just look at the cover. He look familiar? Is that me? I'll read it for you. It says, found Joseph John's next door to murder. Looks like your lady friend fooled everyone. Who would have guessed? A dame. <laughs> hey, I got a cab waiting and a plane to catch. Thanks a lot for putting me up. Hey, look, I don't know if you did it, but... I wish you all the luck in the world, Johns. You're going to need it. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. But I wouldn't want to die there. I'm Rod Serling, and this 
is the zero hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Stanton Forbes, But I Wouldn't Want to Die There, was adapted for radio by Kim Weisskopf. Nehemiah Persoff is Cat. Brock Peters is Leclerc. And Marge Redman is Sylvia. Featured in the cast are Owen Soleil, Alan Reed, Jester Heston, Mady Norman, and William Woodson. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is executive producer. Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. And Kim Weisskopf, story editor. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again... Rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Zero Hour.